Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast this week. It's Jawad here with you as always and joined by a special guest once again, friend of the podcast, Joshua Kerr. How's it going there, mate? Heard it was a bit of a rough one over the weekend. (laughs) So you're all good? Yeah, I'm all good. Yeah, heard it was a bit of a rough one for you lot over in the UK over the weekend, getting up at ungodly hours ungodly. for Formula One. Seven o'clock in the morning, Jawad. I mean, how did people cope? <laughs> I know, right? Well, you, you managed it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. A minute in and I've already started criticising fan bases. It's it's all good so Oh, far. look, I wanted to... I wanted to get it out of the way first up, you know, it's, it's also, it's also just left me feeling a bit smug because, you know, one of the first times in what, three years that we've had a Grand Prix on at a decent time for us, but also a Grand Prix that many of us here in Melbourne and Australia have been able to attend. So I mm. uh, hope everyone's doing well anyway, um, wherever you are. Uh, the topic of this week's show is obvious. We're talking about the Australian Grand Prix. What an event it was. Um, amazing return for F1 to Australia. Record crowds as expected. But I think the scale of the figures was kind of um, just out of this world. You know, we actually broke the record for the largest sporting event in Australia too. So well done to everyone who turned up. 419,114 uh, was the figures across the weekend, beating the record set back in 1996 for the first race, which was 401,000. So what do you think, Josh? Like, you know, obviously not having a Grand Prix for three years, if not including the one that got cancelled in 2020, but, you know, you've got things like Drive to Survive, which has obviously driven popularity all over the world. We had such a cracking year last year where interest in the championship you got to say peaked with the Hamilton Verstappen championship mm. battle like this is this is great isn't it like <laughs> we we do, we love having that extra attention on on formula 1 for for good reasons as well yeah absolutely fantastic i think a lot of what we saw over the weekend is like you said to drive to survive also i think a lot of people gone into formula 1 over lockdowns and things like that and the battles helping as well and i mean if if i'm not mistaken this is one of, well if i'm not mistaken i know because watching the australian sport over the past couple of months this is one of the first big events to come back to australia big international events and to see everybody back is is brilliant yeah without any um like density caps or crowd mm. restrictions and whatnot either so yeah. Really good in that respect. Yeah, we but still had some talking... of the still had some of the caps Sorry? in the ashes. So um yeah, like you said, first big one. Without Yeah, any caps. first big one. That's it. Um but what a weekend of racing it was as well, talking about the on track stuff. So we had Charles Leclerc achieving his first ever career Grand Slam. He had the pole, fastest lap, led every lap, and then of course the race win, his fourth win of um, his career, fourth win from pole position and second win for this season. Whilst on the other side of the radar, um, another power unit related uh, DNF for the reigning world champion, Max Verstappen. And 
all weekend he seemed to be struggling with the balance of that car just did not look comfortable for him I remember during first practice I parked myself at turn 12 to get a good view and some good photos of the car and just the way that that Red Bull was coming around 12 looked like you know I know Verstappen is has got his trademark hustle when he's in the car but it just looked like he was pushing it much more than the Ferraris the Ferraris looked a lot more smoother through that particular corner but you know how are you feeling anyway three races in and for him to have already had two DNFs this season yeah it's 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 not been great to say the least um like you say through the weekend um he was interviewed about must have been 15 minutes before the race we got it here anyway his interview he was just not happy at all any he was he, even little things like the fourth DRS zone being removed. These little things in his mind were building up to something big, and then the tires were not working for him at all. And um, I think Helmut Marco has now come out and said that his his driving style, the way he likes to drive, is he's now pushing it a little bit too much in some respects. But um. Look, it's it's really difficult for them because you know you come off you come off Bahrain you think you know technical glitch before the end that was bad enough you come back to Saudi you win the race and then to have another DNF it's really you're not putting in a string of performances like Ferrari are doing and now already you've got the, all the mind games going into Imola about they they've got the they've got the pace perhaps. But are they going to be able to finish the race? And are they going to be able to fix the problem easily? I think it it seems to be a fairly easy thing they can try and fix. But seeing as it's happened twice in three races, it is a really tricky one for Red Bull. Yeah, and being 46 points behind in the championship now, a lot of people have already started uh, making comparisons to previous years where... Um, world Championship tilts, they've been able to come back from bigger deficits. So they were talking about Sebastian Vettel in mm. 2012 um, overcoming that sort of margin to beat Fernando Alonso in the final race. But even race pace, mate, Ferrari and Leclerc this weekend, their pace was so strong that, you know, they were just immune to being part, like, you know, let's say as well, massive, massive, wraps on the new layout for Albert Park too. I think we saw a very entertaining race, unlike previous years or whatever. So I hope anyone who's out there complaining that, oh, it didn't fix anything um, by changing the layout and then adding an extra DRS zone or whatever. It was pretty good when we talk about everyone else, but that's how good Ferrari and Leclerc was that I don't think that they would have been touched regardless because you know Red Bull didn't have the pace and they Ferrari just were in another universe. Yeah, look, you can't you can't really say oh the the track wasn't good because I mean it's not exactly Leclerc's fault that Max Verstappen's car didn't want to keep the fuel in. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like you say, just even with the poor poising, I really don't. It it boggles me sometimes when you watch the car absolutely bouncing down the back straight and it. It looks sublime overall. 
Um, we did have that restart, didn't we? And um, Leclerc just positioned himself brilliantly. I looked on the overhead shot. Max could have gone on the inside, but it would have been a trickier mm. move, so he was forced to the outside. And yeah, you, can, you can just get that car out of DRS range while Max is trying to scrap behind. That's it. That's it. Um, but moving beyond them as well... Uh, we had Ferrari teammate for Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. Um, he had a pretty difficult weekend as well. But I've got to commend the class of Sainz as well. I mean, this was, what time did I get out of there? Probably, you know, just after 7.30, I think. Um, I was looking to make a move on on, on race day after, after the race. And Sainz was still in the paddock, you know, and this is a driver who, what, didn't, make it past the second lap of the race. He His weekend, I guess, was compromised first by the red flag in qualifying in Q3 that it came out right at the end there, um, or right at the start, so he couldn't get that banker lap in. And then in the race, he made a mistake at turn the turn new turn 9 and 10 chicane and ended up getting beached. Um, but still good on him for hanging around after the race. I mean, if I was him, I'd probably want to go home straight away. Um, but he was there for the team photo and everything as well. But a lot of questions being asked about um, Carlito already after the third race, whether he will be, you know, kind of relegating himself into that, you know, Valtteri Bottas or Rubens Barrichello type second driver role this early what do you think? Like, is it too early to um, get ourselves in that mindset? Well, I, I, it's it's not a surprise that people start thinking about this when it comes to Ferrari. We've we have seen it before. Um, round three. I mean, at the moment, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't be a surprise if they started to start shift things that way. But science may come back strong at Imola. You you just don't know yet, and. I think publicly Ferrari is still trying to keep them at equal pegging. And science, it wasn't all his own fault with the red flag um, and all that. So we might have to wait and see a little bit on this one. The Seeing as Leclerc's got a 30-something point lead over Russell in the championship, it's not panic stations yet in terms of the others catching up to Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. And I actually, in my pre-race predictions or pre-weekend predictions, I should say, I said, maybe this is the weekend science gets it together and um, breaks through for that first win. So we'll just have to wait and see yet. Um, but Perez, Sergio Perez, Checo, he put on an overtaking demonstration against the Mercedes. So that's why I was saying earlier that, you know, it wasn't all just because it, there wasn't any overtaking between Leclerc and Verstappen that, you know, the new layout was a failure. Um, Checo did a great job to finish P2, capitalising on the points for Red Bull when Max was not able to. And during the race, he was able to pass both Hamilton and Russell, who, um, you know, they, again, third fastest car on the weekend or, like, were able to get the positions for third fastest car. But... Checo, he's doing so well, isn't he? And it's just taken a reset of the regulations at Red Bull or for Red Bull to make a car that even the second driver can be comfortable with. Yeah, it's 
it's Checo has been a godsend for Red Bull after the the difficulty with getting a second driver who can adapt to the car. Um, and yeah, brilliant to see him picking up points. And he overtook uh, Lewis in a non-DRS zone as well, down the back straight. So, even better. And with an exceptional move around the outside, to the point where your kind of hands are over the face going, just do it, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> well, speaking of, DR- speaking of it being a non-DRS zone, it was initially a DRS zone. If we remember, there was a lot of talk um, and criticism about, oh, four DRS zones, you've got to be joking going into the weekend, but then the FIA on safety grounds reduced it to three after the second practice session. So, and like you said as well about Max earlier on, that um, Red Bull seemed to be the team that was most vocal once they removed that fourth DRS zone, um, saying that, yeah, it's, it's going to impact ability to pass and all that sort of thing. So, in this instance, it didn't really impact um, Sergio, did it? Because he got his man in Lewis Hamilton and finished second in the race. Yeah, um, like you say, going back to removing it and what Max said, you could see on the on the timing he just couldn't keep it that close enough to get um, more DRS later on in the lap. But um. Yeah, pinch of salt maybe with the Mercedes, seeing as they are a little bit slower than the Red Bull, but in terms of how the Red Bull was performing. But yeah, still good with three DRS zones. Everybody else was producing brilliant racing. They were, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, as I said, going back to the start, Checo had nowhere to go at turn one. He actually made a pretty good start, but ended up losing position to Hamilton, saw Lando Norris as well, losing places from fourth, so McLaren at last getting both cars into Q3, Lando qualifying fourth, Um, you know, in my mind, I feel like perhaps their problems have been track specific, and I guess they were exacerbated there in Bahrain, Um, and then in Saudi, it was a bit of an improvement, and then coming to Albert Park, you know, they, they looked kind of in the position that they were last year pace-wise. So positive steps, you know, like is are they just a couple of upgrades away from being with the top teams, you know? How good would that be if it was that kind of simple to, to fix? Yeah, it's it's all about the, the break dramas they were having in pre-season testing. Of course, uh, Melbourne is even more so now really fast and flowing. So it's good to see them pick up the points when they can. Two great drivers who will always try and get the best out of the car. But we'll, again, it's it's another one of those you've got to wait until we rack up more tracks and see, especially with cost caps, upgrades. Uh, it depends how many they can bring and how close they'll be able to get to the others. That's it. Um, and we'll go over the results for McLaren a bit later. But behind Sergio Perez, we had George Russell finishing on the podium for the, his first podium with Mercedes. Um, and it all came because he benefited from that second safety car that we had on lap 24 when Sebastian Vettel crashed. And we'll talk about Sebastian Vettel as well in some length. But it basically gave George a cheap 
pit stop, which, you know, if we recall last to last year's championship, it was a very much um, contentious topic when you're talking about Verstappen and Hamilton in particular. And Hamilton, I guess, in this instance, again, was aggrieved because um, someone got ahead of him because of a cheap pit stop. But it put George in a good position. Um, and also at the end of that safety car, that was the only time we saw Max threaten Leclerc for the lead uh, at the restart. You know, they were seen coming side by side down into turn one, but the Ferrari got ahead. So, um, yeah, great stuff from George. And as we said, he's sitting second in the championship, which is a bit of a shock. Yeah, I mean, could could say could, with this one, bit of luck, but, you know, a bit of luck as well as a bit of talent is um, all you get in the... In, in Formula One to get up there, and he's been he's been driving pretty well in that Mercedes. It's not it's not as strong as perhaps we'd all expected pre-season, but uh, to be in the right place at the right time is what Mercedes are doing at the moment. They've got a reliable car. It may not be the quickest on track, but they can pick up podiums if they're the final step on the podium if they can, and good haul of points, which is why they're second in the constructors' championship. That's it. Their execution um, has been like next to none over the last eight years. That's why they're eight-time constructors champions. So it's not just down to just having the fastest car, as we know it is, down to all those other little bits and pieces with the team to make sure you do the best pit stops, you've got the best strategy, mm. you make the best decisions. And, you know, this is something that I've criticised about certain teams in the past where, you know, they've had championship challenges against Mercedes, but have fallen over again for this year as well. That's going to be a big question to ask a Ferrari later on uh, is that can they do that execution? So far, we've seen, yes, they are able to do it. They've been very aggressive when it comes to pit stops and trying to force the other team's hand rather than being the team to react. So it's all about, you know, sustaining that over the whole season. So, um, but yeah, like we said, Mercedes with their execution, they just seem to get it done uh, every time. And second in the Constructors' Championship too is pretty good. So Sebastian Vettel, his crash, of course, brought out that safety car. Um, three crashes for him over the weekend. He had that fine because he was riding the scooter back to the pit lane at the end of first practice. Got to say that it was his probably his worst weekend in F1 um, as far as, you know, just crashing and results and stuff like that. But, God, what do you say about Aston Martin in general? It's it's a bit of a rabble at the moment, isn't it? Well, they're the only team without points. I know Williams' point, which we'll probably come on to later. I'm very good at jumping the gun today. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. We're kind of all over the place anyway, instead of going through the list as we as we should. But Yeah, so um, they're the only team without points in the Constructors' Championship. It's just... I mean, you just don't know with, with them at the moment. I mean, Sebastian this week, um, weekend, I mean... Apparently, it's not because he's been out the car because of COVID. Apparently, it's not because of that. But that's just a mess. And it's one of those ones that just leads you scratching your head. It does. And like you say, it's a good point um, about him having been out of the car for the first two races. He had COVID and um, he's come back for his first race of the season as well. 
and just hearing him even make comments like, you know, in, in one of the press conferences, he was asked, oh, you know, you you name your cars every year. Have you come up with a name for this one yet? He said, no, I'm not that comfortable with the car yet, so I don't know. Um, you don't hear that sort of stuff from, from Seb. And, you know, he's a very honest mm. kind of person as well. So, and then for him to say something like, oh, you know, I riding the scooter around the track was the most fun I had all this weekend compared to the car is is a lot, you know, saying about what where the team is at at the moment. And you look on the other side of the garage too, Lance Stroll, I mean, come on, that crash with Nicholas Latifi in qualifying just had shades of, I think it was Ericsson from, from Baku with Roman Grosjean a few years ago. I mean, I think if anything, it's worse than, oh, no... Grosjean's one was worse, I'd say, but just because it's Stroll, I feel like saying it, it was it was worse. <laughs> it was just bizarre. I mean, obviously, because we on the TV saw, and you probably did as well in the media centre, you just saw the crash. And you're just going, it's qualifying. What the hell are you doing? Well, uh, the thing was, well, the thing was, we saw, I saw the crash, then... It was like, okay, how did that happen? And then when they go back a few few frames or whatever, and you see both of them basically backing off, I'm like, okay, did was this a low speed crash? Did they just kind of go into each other? And then, you know, Stroll, okay, says, okay, um, I'll let Latifi through or whatever, mm. and Latifi's going to go through, and then he just drives into him essentially, just veers right, and it's like, okay, what's he doing? He didn't, he didn't look or whatever. And Stroll's got mirrors that he can look in. Mm. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing. It's it's quite a few. It's racking up a bit. You've just got to look around you. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds it sounds simple, and the stroll fans are probably going to go on about oh no, you know, Latifi shouldn't have come through. He was he oh, let stroll think... through, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You just got to be aware of everybody on the racetrack and. I mean, the bills that must be racking up both Aston Martin and Williams, it's, it's not its not cheap at all. Seven figures well, already, it just crashes. For Williams, I guess it's not their fault in this instance. No. But, I mean, what, what, is, what do you think Senior's thinking, you know, Lawrence Stroll at the moment? I mean, he came in with his ambitions and this and that and money and, you know, like, I want to take this team to the front three-year plan, five-year plan, okay, fine. But at least give us something that's going to be, give us something to be optimistic about. Not that, you know, in the three years that, you know, he's been in charge of the team, let's say, or four years, 2020 was great. You know, they they did the whole Mercedes design thing and it, it they got good results. They could have been better. They were easily the third fastest car, but didn't finish third in the championship. Um, then 2021, they, they get hurt by the, the minor changes in the aero rules or whatever. And then rather than pursuing, um, upgrades like Mercedes did, they said, okay, let's focus on our resources on 2022. We're in 2022 and it's looking worse than it did last year. 
I mean, this is not a team that's, you know, cash-strapped anymore or is devoid of resources and whatnot. They went big and hired Martin Whitmarsh and they brought over Mike Crack from, from DTM and everything. You know, they made the decision to to let go of Otmar Safnauer as well, who's been basically the glue of that team for so many years. I mean, I just... I need any excuse to rip into Aston Martin at the moment because it's a brand that I care deeply about. You know, I've had a love of the Aston Martin brand since I was a kid. You know, I had the poster of the DB5 and all that and I've always loved Aston in whatever category they've raced in, whether it's a Le Mans GT3. But I just feel like Lawrence Stroll is, you know, putting him in the ground you know, is this a repeat of what happened to Lotus back in the 90s when he got his hands on it? Like, I don't know. It's it's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, it's it's more problems than solutions, really, for Aston Martin at the moment. As I was just thinking, as, as you were saying that, you know. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't hit... I mean, Sebastian, Sebastian will probably be able to, you know, get used to the car a bit. Lance Lance probably will as well. He can drag some performance out of a car, but it's, it's a lot of problems for Aston Martin at the moment. If, um, if old Lance could show some motivation, that would be nice too. But yeah. anyway, um, he got into some trouble too for uh, weaving. Um, he kind of uh, ruined... Well, not ruined, but Valtteri Bottas and Pierre Gasly's races were kind of fraught with Stroll blocking down the main straight as well. And then he comes up with an argument that, why did I get penalised for that? It's like, you know that weaving is not allowed, so don't do it. And then he was still doing it. <laughs> um, so, and then he ended up with that five-second penalty, which took him down to 14th. So, and like you said, they're the only team at the moment with no points. So... Rather than, you know, me carry on and want to rip into them, let's um kinda of move it on then. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've said that we've said our bit. We're we're sorry, Aston Martin, um, but we'll move on now. We've done our bit. We'll um we'll, we'll segue into what happened to Max Verstappen then unfortunately. Oh, so more joy. on lap thirty <laughs> You know, just just stating the facts here, I'm afraid. But he pulled over on lap 39, um, smelling a weird fluid in the cockpit. So, again, does that put a question mark over Red Bull powertrains? I know people have been talking about it and whatnot. So, um, you know, what what do you think? You know, you were saying before that you think it could be a simple fix. Um, what how what's it going to take and how long is it going to take because they can't really afford to lose more points in the championship can they no i mean my easy fit it could be a part of my brain going it's got to be an easy fix we can get back into it <laughs> fine but then the other part of my brain is like i mean what is going on i i think because of last year i'm a bit immune to how red bull used to be with its engine somewhere cyril Beatbull is laughing um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, who knows? I, I, I don't know if it's because of it moving to Red Bull powertrains with this whole Honda made them an engine that they've developed. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's anything to do with that. I, me, me and technical gobbins do not go well together. I just look at the driving side mainly. But if it's if it's the if it is the, the fuel related thing that we think. Again, after Bahrain, it seemed to work fine, like I said earlier, in Saudi Arabia. So you'd think it would be fine for Emila. 
but yeah, I don't know. Either way, Christian Horner did say, you know, he'd rather fix a fast, unreliable car than a reliable, slow car. So that's something that Red Bull have got going for them. Although that's Christian yeah. Horner being Christian Horner at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, Christian Horner was a very popular man over the weekend. So many people wanting photos with him, and I could see on the grid um, so many Aussie rules footballers and one of those um, brat tennis players that uh, from Australia, <laughs> not not Nick Kyrgios, but the other one. Um, posing for photos with Horner. So, you know, I think uh, Netflix has definitely given him that notoriety that he didn't have before. Um, probably more famous than his his missus now, who, you know, let's be fair, that's Ginger Spice we're talking about from Jerry Halliwell from the Spice Girls. But, um, yeah, so nothing to stop Leclerc then romping to that 22nd lead over Perez and Russell. Um, Lewis Hamilton came in in fourth and he had to clarify comments that he made on the radio whilst behind his teammate. It kind of made him sound like he was a bit ungrateful that he wasn't ahead of um, his teammate, but he quite clarified that. And then both of them went off and did some surfing together and it was all this hunky-dory apparently in the Mercedes garage. And Russell made an interesting comment in the press conference after um, saying he was asked something about, you know, what do you take away, you know, this win over your teammate in this race, something like that. And he's like, look, when I was at Williams and you weren't fighting for points or any major results, beating your teammate was kind of the only thing that would give you, um, only thing that would give you praise or earn you praise. Whereas now, in a team like Mercedes, there's a bigger picture to think about. So he seems to not really, or the, you know, the answer that he gave seemed to suggest that he didn't really care about, you know, who finishes ahead at this stage. They're trying to get all the points they can to contribute to the world championship. Um, he won't be saying that when he's fighting for the world championship with Lewis one day, if that ever happens. But at the moment he's, it's in, it's good. Like he's got, he seems to be very mature the way he's going yeah. about his business at Mercedes at the moment, only three races in. I think the good thing for Mercedes at the moment is that, you know, before the season, there was kind of a bit of is, is, is George going to be able to match Lewis? Um, will the team let George um, be able to race with Lewis? because of all the Valtteri stuff we've had over the, the years, Valtteri, it's James and whatever. Um, but, you know, it's good for them that Russell is, is keeping keeping good pace with Lewis, just like we thought he, he could do. And, you know, he's right. It's, it is a team It is a team play. You know, Lewis has been ahead of George at times, and George has been ahead of Lewis. And But Lewis was only, what, one, one two seconds behind? George and so it's all good for Mercedes at the moment really just apart from the pace but the consistency and what they've got going at the moment is is really good pretty good for them pretty good for McLaren as well getting dual top six finishes so Lando also was fastest in FP3 which um encouraged a lot of people including myself I was like <laughs> we could have an epic battle for pole position here you know with with McLaren and Mercedes and, and and Red Bull and Ferrari in the mix and then Leclerc just comes out and puts in a lap three tenths faster than Verstappen but um 
Lando, you know, he's just had the measure of his teammate, of course, and Daniel Ricciardo being his home race and all the pressure around him and everything. I guess the relief will be that he's scored points this season now. He's fin- He finished in sixth, got himself a healthy haul of points. Um, and just the hope is that they can get better and better as the season goes on. Like... Yeah, I don't want to see them really at the back of the grid again. That was a bit um, bit of a heart-in-the-mouth moment earlier in the season. Yeah, role reversal from Saudi Arabia. Lander making sarcastic comments all around the paddock after the race, which was funny, but, you know, but to to come to Australia and have a good car, like I probably said earlier, because, you know, me, it's Mr. Jumping the Gun today. Um, I probably said earlier about... Um, you know, the brake issues are lessened at a track like Albert Park. Um, but, you know, there's 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 some good signs for McLaren. I don't... I mean, maybe they might have one or two races like they did last year. I think I said at the weekend to somebody as well, you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing last year at times as well, yet they still managed to... I'm not saying that we're at the stage where they could win a race like they did at Monza last year, but mm. if you... If you get what i mean it's it's it wasn't all you know hunky dory last year as well ricardo was struggling trying to get used to the car a little bit as well so there's there's no reason at the moment why mclaren can't use this as a springboard to continue to get themselves a good haul of points well that's it and also then the questions will come back on um ricardo's performance if he can't uh, get ahead of his teammate and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, we're not going to escape from that little narrative for this season. Um, the comparison between the two, we know Lando's locked into the team for quite a while yet. While Ricardo, I think he's in the middle of his first, you know, three year deal with the team. So whether he's got an option to to get out at the end of this year, if he is going to change teams again, or uh, I mean, I don't even know if any team out there better than McLaren will will have him anyway. They're all got drivers and stuff locked away. And I look at Ricardo, and you know, you can also vouch for this with comments made by Christian Horner recently again kind of lighting the fuse under that old chestnut about him leaving Red Bull back in 2018 whether he was running away from a fight and apparently Red Bull offered him that much money but he still turned it down I mean I do feel like unfortunately and this is you know just admitting to you casually that I think the window for Ricardo to win a championship is sadly passed mm. unless he somehow pulls a Nigel Mansell and does it, you know, in the next few years. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, you know, he could win races, but yeah, unfortunately we must look to another um, who was very much also a man that was popular um, over the weekend in Oscar Piastri, I think for our next world champion from Australia. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on Ricardo first. Um, like you said, it's at the time. I think in hindsight, I get what Ricardo why he wanted to leave Red Bull. You were noticing, you know, um, the team were beginning to work around Max a little bit more as he was the the, the protege, as it were. 
of um so he went to Renault when Renault were thinking that they could get themselves in a championship position but it's a bit with these midfield teams it's a bit like false promises and I thought like this at the time um but you know going to McLaren was also pretty it's it's still not a bad option for Ricardo but um you know in an ideal world we can sit back and say you know he could have stayed at Red Bull he could have got more race wins he might have been able to fight for the championship last year with Max but what what's done is done for Ricardo and being at McLaren who knows what McLaren will be capable of he did win a race last year so that's something at least uh, but yeah like you say Oscar Piastri uh, hopefully um, he can get himself a seat in Formula 1 next year but quite rightfully as well Fernando Alonso is not budging yeah he got copped a lot of questions did, um <laughs> Fernando over the weekend and even Otmar Zafnau was quizzed about it too I could hear in the in the press conferences about um decision that they will have to make with their drivers we know that Esteban Ocon is locked into the team as well on a long long-term deal which is good for him um given that you know he's got faith in the team that they can improve which let's be fair looking at their pace early in the weekend we were like wow, could we have Fernando Alonso go for pole position potentially? And we'll never know because in qualifying before he crashed, which, you know, eventually um, cost Carlos Sainz, his compatriot, a better qualifying position too. He had set, you know, the fastest second sector, didn't he? You know, of anyone. And his first two sectors looked so good. He could have been on pole. And what could have that been like if that came to the weekend? But unfortunately for Alonso, he had tyre troubles during the race and finished last of the classified runners, while Ocon was lonely in P7. But when you look at Ocon's points tally so far this season, he has been pretty consistent and he's sitting seventh in the championship ahead of the likes of, you know, Norris and Ricardo and Bottas and all. So um, pretty consistent from him so far. But again, you know, that question about uh, drivers with with Piastri on the sidelines and will he be in that team? Who knows? And Alonso not having plans to step down anytime soon. I mean, you've got to get that boy in sooner or later because, you know, we don't want him to be lost to um, any other category just yet. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it all stems back from that big COVID reshuffle in the middle of May when we were in the COVID shutdown, where drivers started just moving teams and teams started having a rejig, and then we were thinking, you know, we got we got Oscar Piastri in Formula Three. Then we thought, well, you know, we've got a good young driver in the Alpine program that has a could have had a seat maybe if covid didn't happen and things went differently but if he's not if he's not in a formula 1 seat next year he'll he'll have to start looking for something else maybe like you say because you know we've seen drivers before who've had this kind of year sabbatical thing where they're a reserve driver and then when they come back it's it's like there's something out of them that was lost because they haven't gone straight from one thing to another but at the end of the day, yeah. it, it will prove that the ladder doesn't work if the Formula 2 champion can't get into Formula 1. Well, that's it, you know, and looking at what seats are available for next year, I know it's very early in the season to be talking about 2023, but, um, you know, maybe Haas could 
could be an opening. You never know, like, what's going on with Alfa Romeo. Um, Aston Martin, potentially. Will Sebastian Vettel retire at the end of this year? So it's just very, unless you have, you know, a very, very broad imagination, a reasonable person will look and say, oh, it looks pretty difficult at the moment to try and get a seat for next year. But, you know, it's early days. We'll see how they go. Um, when, when Once we get to the middle of the year, the mid-season break, that's kind of when the silly season comes into full swing. So we'll be talking more about it then, I'm sure. So we capped off on Valtteri Bottas and Pierre Gasly. They finished 8th and ninth, of course, you know, so decent weekends for them. Bottas uh, had his runner Q3 appearances cut this weekend as well. We missed out um, getting eliminated in Q2. Talked about Aston Martin and the die weekend they had. Williams, though, you kind of hinted it before. Their gamble on the hard tyre with Alex Albon starting last in the race. Oh, he was actually disqualified because they didn't have um, enough fuel in the car to sample at the end of qualifying. So starting plum last, raced to lap 58 on the hard tyre from the start and then switched tyres at the end. I had the feeling that they might have forgotten to pit him. And I was like, what's the penalty for not pitting during the race or changing your tyres at least once? And, of course, it's just disqualification. I'm like, what, what are Williams trying to do here? But they did eventually pit him on the final lap. And um, I was like, oh, well, that's him gone. But it was enough to keep him 10th. And they've scored a point. I, th- I think they might have... I think um, the kind of thinking was, well, they just missed out on that virtual safety car when Max was pulling uh, pulling over with the retirement. But, yeah, stroke of genius. Who, whoever whoever did that in the Williams garage should, uh, should have had the beers brought for them on a Sunday night. That was absolutely fantastic. And Album was really holding his own out there, even on a, a 40, 50, then 40, 50 lap set of a C2 to hard tyres. Exactly, and it was quite. Um, I'm not going to say it was funny because I don't. I don't think it's well, funny, but it's that's how far behind Albon was um, on the final lap of the leaders that the track invasion had already started when he was leaving the pit lane. I don't know if you saw images yeah. of that. Apparently, mm-hmm. in the pit lane, there was some hospitality people that were spilling into the pit lane already to get to get underneath the podium. Or whatever, but yeah, it was just like, come on, guys, just just wait here. We still got a bit of a race happening. So, um, as it is, then we we recap the standings after the race. So Mercedes ten points ahead of Red Bull in the constructors' championship. Ferrari at thirty nine points clear. No points for Aston Martin. All the teams are on the board. McLaren kind of at the head of that midfield at the moment. You could say two points ahead of Alpine, and then there well ahead of Alfa Romeo and Haas. Um, and then looking at the Drivers' Championship as well, still no points there for Mick Schumacher, Lance Stroll, Nicholas Latifi, and Sebastian Vettel yet to get on the board as a classified finisher for the race. So let's just go in and talk about some of the other stories that were floating around across the weekend um, in Melbourne. So uh, one that caught my surprise was or caught me by surprise was the Volkswagen Audi group involvement um apparently it is firming for 2026 when the new engine regs come into play but apparently McLaren is now 
out of the running because Audi wanted to completely buy out McLaren and have their own Audi like racing team, not just like an engine partnership. Whereas McLaren are like, no, we still want to exist in F1 as a team with our own name. So we're not going to buy into this. So it's still been delayed, I guess. They still, I guess, uh, VW Audi Group want to wait until there's um, a proper announcement for the 2026 engine regulations. But a little roadblock, you think, because of this McLaren thing? Or it's still all systems go? What's your news on that? It's the it's the old rumour mill going again, usually. Um Look, I I will I will admit it's quite patchy in terms of me following at the moment. You see bits and bits and bobs, but I mean fair on McLaren for going, you know, it's our team, you know, you're not just gonna come and buy it out and take all the glory. Um but it'd be good to have some more engine manufacturers in Formula One as well. It would help with the sustainability. I mean we're down to we're down to three now. Um which so yeah, it'd be good to have a bit more variety in terms of engine manufacturers. We'll see when all the uh, new power unit regulations um come into effect. I mean, we know we've had this current set frozen because of Honda choosing to go. Yeah, exactly. So, um, not till twenty twenty six will we get a whole new formula. And as you say, they are frozen at the moment, but. Um, Red Bull Porsche still looking like it's going to happen. What do Audi do though? You know, does, did Audi decide not to come into F1 or do they try and look at other teams potentially? I mean, does, does Alfa Romeo, um, Sauber want to possibly link up with them or like Sauber, sorry, I should say. So that would mean an end to the Alfa Romeo deal. What about Aston Martin, you know, with, um, even the road car business perhaps not doing as well as initially thought under uh, Stroll's ownership. Does he decide to cut his losses and then let um, let Audi come in and take over or whatever? So a lot of questions around that. So that will be an interesting story to follow over the next few weeks and months. And then I wrote a piece about this um, over the weekend and it got put up today talking about the importance of Formula One in Australia. And given the, you know, growing interest over the world and, you know, Formula One basically looking to go to more of a US market, you know, we've seen more races in the Middle East pop up as well. Um, I wanted to remind everyone that how important Formula One in this part of the world is. And we saw that with the crowd that turned out. It's such a key market, strong market. We've got such a strong fan base and a passionate fan base when it comes to sports as well. Um, You know, we've always had an Australian presence as far as drivers are concerned on the grid, you know, on and off since, you know, Jack Brabham's glory day. So Jack Brabham back in the sixties and whatnot. So, and then we've got future as well in Oscar Piastri. So we will have that representation on the grid. But a point that I also made is using what Lewis Hamilton said about this being a world championship. I mean, you can't be a world championship if you don't reflect certain parts of the world and Hamilton himself saying that he'd love to see uh, Africa tapped into. And I'm hearing that, it sounds likely that we could return to 
South Africa and Kailami in the next couple of years. So that would be good to see. But given that you love Australia, even though you've not been yet, hopefully you'll come and visit in, in the next couple of years or so. How important to you is having a race in Australia for F1? I mean, of course, I will say yes at this point. But seriously, um, it's I, I read a figure the other day. It is, the alongside the US, Australia is the fastest growing market in Formula 1 because of all the late night lockdown, watching the Grand Prix as well. And I've actually got, we had the figures released on uh, Monday um, when the race, obviously because it was the Australian Grand Prix, it was on Channel 10, free to air in Australia. Uh, 886,000 people watched uh, the race. Um, so these are great numbers to be capitalising on. And we had 400,000 people at the race. You know, you can't you can't not support Australia in this. There is a long motorsport heritage in Australia. Everybody loves going there. I mean, I know we had the usual complaints about the jet lag and whatnot. But, um... No, we Australia is a very important place for Formula One, and it's got some of the most die-hard fans in the world. Um, and to touch on Africa as well, yes, yeah, South African Grand Prix would be brilliant. Um, especially if it's more than the pipeline dream we've had for ten years. Um, if the if the investment is right, if we can get everything sorted, the track can be upgraded. I know there's the international gt championship that goes there now um so yeah south african race would be good um because you know at the end of the day like you said as well and like lewis hamilton says it's a world championship uh south africa's a good market anyway because uh same time zone as europe the same time zone for america the early mornings that uh the american fan base do like the sunday morning time um, sorry, Australia will still be eleven o'clock on a Sunday night. Uh, See, we put we up go. with it though. We we don't complain as much. We are strong. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you we are resilient. Still have a Grand Prix. <laughs> yes, it's our one little treat that we get every year. And um, touching on what you said as well about uh, drivers and teams talking about jet lag and it being painful. I mean. It's it's kind of an interesting argument because when when I was listening to George and 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 Checo talk about it, they were both saying, "Oh, you know, we love Melbourne. We love coming to Melbourne. Like it's such a great place. The vibe here is amazing and everything." But then you know it's painful to travel to, and it's for the teams and whatnot. So. And I'm going to, rather than, you know, play onto the, or latch onto those complaints and whatnot, I'm going to stick with what Toto Wolf said and saying that he has faith in um, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali in streamlining the 2023 calendar to avoid any kind of painful trips like we've had this year. I mean, it's easy to forget that we're still kind of dealing with with the COVID pandemic as well. And a lot of the F1 scheduling and uh, calendar structures have been influenced by COVID over the last couple of years. So I have a feeling that we probably won't see Australia return to the first race of the season because if testing um, continues to be in Bahrain, then it's logical to keep all the freight there, but it would be better, I reckon, if they twin that Bahrain race or if they have another race in Asia early on in the season, twin it with 
um, uh, Australia so that they're already in this part of the world and we don't have that um, that week break that we did between Saudi and, and Melbourne. So every teams have to go back to Europe from, from the Middle East and then fly all the way back here. But then it's not just Melbourne. I mean, when you look at the next two races after Melbourne, so we're going to Europe, to, to Imola, then immediately after that, flying across the Atlantic to Miami. So it's it's all over the place. It's not just a Melbourne-specific problem. So if anyone's, you know, bagging out Melbourne, it's like, oh, because it's on the other side of the world or whatever, then just, that's enough of it. We don't want to hear it. So, um, yeah, you know, it would be great uh with the contract running at the moment through to 2025 if we see it on the calendar beyond that um but also yeah just with all the other races coming in and and people saying look you know classic races your heritage races like your spas and your monaco's could come under threat you know we could be rotating races or whatever but I feel like, you know, you can rotate your races on other continents where you've got multiple races already, but if you're coming to play one-off places like Australia, you've got to have them on your calendar every year because it's just, it gives you that great feeling, it's that buzz. And to be honest, after two races first up in the Middle East, you know, I always feel like the Middle East races just have a depressing atmosphere and, Mm. you know, you just don't get that vibrancy or that same color that you do with somewhere like australia or even next up where we're going to italy there's just so much passion in the crowd um there that we look forward to seeing even if they're all wearing red (laughs) yeah um i mean formula one has got to look at how can we get a calendar obviously covid related cancellations and postponements are probably hopefully fingers crossed touch wood we're not going to have to fuss with those too much but it's going to have to think about what is the best way to get around the world and not do this australia europe america europe canada europe kind of thing that's going on um i know we've got a few races in europe before canada but but to put it simpler um mm. that's what's we've going got on we've in between that as well i guess so even though that's technically part of europe <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, they have got to think about that. I think a twinning of the race, maybe we might have to start thinking, even though this race has been in um, September, let's say, we might have to move it to twin it with a Grand Prix in, let's say, Australia, um, so that we can help out the teams with the jet lag because mainly the mechanics as well because they work such long hours they must be absolutely knackered coming to australia i will give them that um Hmm. so you know it it can be done i mean i look at motor gp even though i don't watch it that much they've got a 21 race calendar this year and they've got no triple headers in it so formula one can very much do a 23 24 race calendar and manage it mm. correctly and still not have as much burnout as what's going on at the moment. Except for when their freight goes missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which apparently was something that um F one almost had happen too. But look, also when you're spruiking um sustainability and wanting to be a carbon neutral sport by twenty thirty, then you're gonna have to clean up this mess anyway, you know, yeah. and streamline stuff. And s- Saying that you, um, you mentioned, you know, September, I don't think, 
you know, F1 would, or the Australian side, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation would be able to get an event happening in September, given all the footy finals Mm. and stuff that are happening. So you you kind of have to do it either at the start of the year, close to the start of the year, or maybe at the end of the year, which was suggested as well, that maybe Australia goes back to being the final race of the season, which would be incredible. I would, I would love it, you know, to give it that kind of Adelaide 500 vibe about it as well. Sorry, not Adelaide 500, the Adelaide Grand Prix. Um, Adelaide 500, a totally different event that's been on my mind all week because I've been in discussion with people about um, being there and all that. But yeah, no. So I hope, you know, people despite their complaints um even you know european-based fans who have seen on social media and whatnot complaining i hope that you know they do realize that how passionate a fan base is in australia and the people who've spent you know especially in melbourne you know because we've spent the record amount of days Mm. in lockdowns over the last two years that we you know, still stuck with Formula One and wanted to watch all the racing in on those cold uh, Sunday nights and early Monday mornings. So um, hopefully, you know, they see that and maybe give us a bit of a break and uh, not complain as much when they have to get up once, twice a year to, to watch a Grand Prix. So, yeah. I don't know if you got anything else to add to that. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying with the whole, I was thinking like other Grand Prix you could move. I know obviously we've got, I mean, September, October for Australian sport is like your chocker kind of time with your grand finals and your Bathurst 1000s. But, um, and also yeah. MotoGP is on in October as well at Phillip Island, so it's it's a lot going on. Yeah. So, yeah, either at the start or the end, but twin it with some other races. I mean, I know we used to do it with, like, Malaysia. Could you do a Singapore night race in March or April? You know, that that kind of thing. I know it's quite hypothetical, and there's lots of contracts and clashes and stuff to think about, but it is something that Formula 1 has got to think about, like we said, with the sustainability. Mm. I think something like they, their figure is, you know, it's a 17,000-kilometre trip that's going on at the moment for round trip for the australia back to europe it's you can't be doing that just for one race in the grand scheme of things as much as we love australia we've got to you know face the facts about sustainability in the future that's it so we'll move it on then we'll we'll change pace and go into supercars talk about some of the talking points from the melbourne 400 of course and um getting it out of the way at the top of the piece, Josh, you, unfortunately, you and all the British fans of supercars did not get the access to the racing as um, you would have liked to have had this time. Tell us about it. So um, this kind of story, this story was brewing for a couple of weeks before the Grand Prix. Um, a part of you, a part of me kind of thought you know, could try to forget it, try to not think about it. But after Tasmania Super Sprint, you know, everybody goes off, you know, looking forward to the Melbourne 400, should be good for the supercars on the new track as well. Um, And then we got a message on Tuesday, um, the Tuesday before the Grand Prix, that um supercars weren't going to show it. 
weren't going to show the Melbourne 400 outside Australia and New Zealand because of international broadcasting rights, as they quoted, associated with the Grand Prix. So even though that we've had the Melbourne 400 before on BT Sport here in the UK, we had none of that. I get kind of BT may have had to might have had to sort out a deal themselves extra like supercars have had to with Formula One to show the coverage from the Grand Prix track as it's a support race. But for Superview, Supercars' own broadcast service, to not broadcast a Supercars event, which is part of the championship and which, as we will go on to, the championship has moved about. Four races is a big chunk of the championship. For international fans not to be able to watch it on the week our payments were taken out is a bit of a punch to the face yeah and when you put it that way it does um sound pretty significant like time zone difference aside there's still going to be fans out there who would have easily accessed the highlights packages and um, watched all the content on demand like you usually do when you can't get up for a race so a bit frustrating i feel that you know i would love to put you know i'm always about you know giving people accessibility and you know to be able to watch supercars because it's such a fascinating championship that's why i talk about it whether it's gotten people interested in it is another story (laughs) i'll love to hear your thoughts on that one um listeners but let's go over then you know kind of the the talking points of the weekend and i think you know starting off the top uh, SVG and Chaz Mostert, they both split the wins across the weekend, which I was honestly supply, uh, supplied, surprised, you know, that um, after Tassie and not seeing um, good pace from Mostert and WAU, that they were able to bounce back for a circuit like Albert Park. I think perhaps the changes to Albert Park to make it more fast and flowing suits that car a lot better, like we saw at Sydney Motorsport Park. But Race six, Chaz had an electric start from third, was battling away with David Reynolds, perhaps, you know, took the whole uh, hard racing line from Tasmania a bit too seriously or actually took it to heart and said, okay, I'm going to get my elbows out and gives Reynolds a bit of a tap coming out of the final corner and almost puts him in the wall. (laughs) Thankfully, he didn't um, to take the lead of that race. He ended up overcutting the Shell V power cars as he did again in race nine. Um, to win race six while we had Van Gisbergen racing from 23rd on the grid to P3. He just put on an overtaking masterclass in that one. Yeah, he showed them how it's done. I remember watching the uh, the footage on the uh, the, the uh, news I got from Australia on Friday night. He just will overtake anywhere. I mean, you cannot put Shane Van Gisbergen down. I mean, the first thing to have stopped him is COVID. I mean, nothing has been able to stop him the past year. He is a sensational racing driver. He is. And yeah, last year when he did his, um, broke his collarbone or whatever, or dislocated oh. it, and he still went on to race at Sandown and won every race that weekend too. And now, unfortunately, um, Shane's contracted COVID-19 and will miss the Bathurst six hour that's on this weekend too. So um yeah, hope hope old Shane yeah. is okay and recovers. Um, I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be fit for for the next round there in where they're racing next. Perth, Perth. I think. Yeah, oh, Perth has opened their borders. Wowee. Um, 
but yeah, great race for him to finish in third. Um, again, getting those points in the championship. I mean, this is the thing with, with Van Gisbergen over the last couple of years is that he's even on the weekends where it hasn't been great. He has still been getting those results to get him those points for the championship, which is what something his rivals really need to do. But he was dominant in races seven and eight, won them um, ahead of the Grove racing cars, which, you know, I had to highlight that they've been on it this weekend. I mean, we saw Reynolds take a um, podium last uh, time out in Tasmania, but the team as a whole this weekend were able to take three podiums away. Um, race seven, we saw Lee Holdsworth, the Bathurst winner from last year, benefit from a final corner incident between um, Chas Mostert and James Courtney, who celebrated his 500th supercar race this weekend. So uh, Holdsworth was able to come out and finish third behind his teammate Reynolds, who picked up his second podium, and they also had a pole position too, um, kind of helped by the fact that the first qualifying of the weekend was red flagged and ultimately not restarted when we had a big crash at turn five. Um, but those guys seem to be doing good at the moment. Yeah, carnage in that quali- that first qualifying session with the crashes at turn five. But uh, good to see. Good to see Grove racing. I always like... Uh... I'm gonna say cause there's no there's no such thing as a midfield in supercars because everybody's just up and up and mixing it. Um, but some of the smaller but there is a there is a there there is a back end of the there is a rear of the field which yes. we know who stays there basically. <laughs> yeah, not maybe a team that may be owned by Matt Stone. Um, <laughs> but um, or a um or the son of a a son of a team owner as well. Mm. <laughs> what was it grove racing that's it that's the correct team we're talking about yeah good to see them yep. i mean like we said reynolds was got some good performances in tasmania uh and really good to see uh him being able to race well as well good for reynolds as well because uh, he did have some difficult times last year as well of course with the whole covid vaccination thing as well but um less said about that the better now but um yeah good mm-hmm. to see him back up at the front that's it so whether that form can be sustained uh going into the next few rounds will be uh seen but um those guys did well we saw Chaz in race nine it was his birthday on sunday happy 30th birthday to Chaz moster where we're all big fans of, of Chaz here on the podcast um as you all know um but yeah on on his 30th birthday picking up the win ahead of, I said it, a luckless but also still winless Will Davison. And I know we we love having a chat and a good old laugh about this um, off air, but he was on pole twice this weekend, wasn't he? And he still just can't get the monkey off his back. I mean, he's been winless since 2016, since since the Bathurst 1000 there that he won with um, Jonathan Webb and Techno. We joked quite a bit last year about the the learning curve in 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 um, inverted commas. Is that going to be the line this year as well? You think? Well, it can't be. I mean, bottom line is that it can't be. I mean, as much as we joke about it, it was kind of fine for the first couple because um, uh, people sh- if if people are regular listeners to the podcast, they will know the backstory of how he lost his seat uh, at Milwaukee uh, racing due to the um 
due to COVID um, financial problems, uh, COVID-related financial problems, there we go. So he was, you know, going into the start of 2021 off the back of the Bathurst co-drive in 2020 at um, Tixford with Cam Waters. You know, first couple of races, you go, yeah, you know, it's 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 a new team. It's a newly restructured team at DJR in terms of the drivers. You know, Fabian Coulthard went off to Team Sydney. Scotty McLaughlin went to America to do IndyCar racing. You get for the first couple of races, you know, settle in a little bit. We'll see what we've got. But then Anton started winning and Will didn't. And Will started making errors in driving or the strategies weren't right. I know that's not quite Will's thing, but, you know, things started to go a little bit wrong. Uh, you know, I know DJR have had some tire dramas in Melbourne, but you know, it's got to, it's it, he's got to win at some point. I mean, he's got the ability to do it. He's got to get his elbows out of Van Gisberg and gets up to him next time. That's for sure. They can't just let him go past like they've been well, doing so far. Well, that's what happened again, didn't it, over the weekend? And I know he got into trouble with Cam Orders as well and ended up in the gravel in race seven, but. In race eight, he was basically just rounded up by Van Gisberg and, and then left second best. And then in race nine, he was uh, in pole, lost pole by getting overcut by Mostert or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's just, yeah, he's, he's, he's no deal. He's, he's an exciting, he's an experienced driver, not exciting, I'd say, but he's an experienced driver. He's won two Bathurst 1000s. He's been around the park and whatnot. You'd think that with his stature and experience, he would be able to capitalize on the opportunities for wins, you know, and I don't think DJR as a team have gone completely backwards since, you know, Penske left and, and McLaughlin left and Coulthard and all that. Cause as you said, Anton's been performing and Anton's been winning, but as it stands after nine races so far this season, none of the Ford teams have won, you know, the Mustang hasn't won so far this season. And last time we were in Albert park, the Mustang stole all the headlines and dominated the weekend. And there were talks about parody and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's still good to see Anton sitting second in the championship, 144 points adrift of, of Van Giesbergen at the moment, and then you've got Mostert, 162 points behind in third, Davison fourth, 181 points. But, I mean, if they are going to be in contention this year, you, you, they've got to step it up, you know. They've got to be converting those pole positions into race wins and stuff. So not just, you know, stepping aside, like, okay, Shane, you can pass after you, mate. Um, just, you know, let go easy on me next time or whatever, because he's not going to go easy on him, is he? No, I mean, Tasmania set the the benchmark. Whatever you think about it, you know, yes, it's aggressive, but whatever you think about it, you know, oh, that's not allowed. He can't drive like that. He does drive like that, and he's allowed to drive like that. You've got to race like Van Gisbergen, or at least give him a good bit of defence. Um, with yeah, Anton, it's... though, it's it's much better with the reliability this year. I mean, his 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 kind of um, yeah. I mean, I would say championship fight, but you know, it was considering the car stopped in the first race of the season last year. That's a little bit unfair, but um, you know, we're seeing as he's got the reliability under him, 
if he can get some good performances, like he says, he's now second in the championship, then Anton can certainly carry the baton for DJR. We'll, we'll, we'll see with Will Davison. I think we've touched on it enough already, you know. You've got to absolutely get your elbows out in supercars because it is a tough battle every single race. It is fantastic. And, you know, you've just got to go all for it. Absolutely. So that rounds out kind of the racing part of the weekend. What also was um, great to see, and I don't think they even televised it from what someone else no. is telling me even even here, but the um, F1 drivers jumping in to sample the supercars. And I know in the past they've had, you know, Max jump in with, with Van Gisbergen for some guest laps at Albert Park, but for Checo, Perez and... Fernando Alonso to actually get behind the wheel of the cars was something to behold. You know, it was so great to see. They both seemed like they had a ball. Um, Alonso said it was a mix between a GT3 car and a NASCAR. Um, so Alonso, through mutual sponsor Castrol, jumping into Thomas Randall's Castrol Mustang at Tickford, and then Checo, of course, in the Red Bull car of Brock Feeney. And you could see Brock Feeney. Um, on the radio communicating with Perez as well. And you had a, you brought, brought up something interesting um, yesterday or the other day about uh, Checo's interesting way of changing gear. Yeah. Um, Shane Van Gisberg is not very happy at how Sergio drove the car because he... <laughs> I've got to stop myself laughing here. He, he he went straight up to 8,800 RPM. I mean, supercars usually change about 7,000, 7,500. But no, Sergio went all the way right up there. I mean, I wonder if anybody told him, you know, take it easy on the car, but just revved it up to the mat. Or as Scotty McLaughlin would say, give it some jandal. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least um, it wasn't Shane's car that he was driving, so that was that's probably a good thing there. But um, uh, Alonso got a bit uh, got a bit uh, like on on the grass as well, so showing his um, rally skills there. But you know, Alonso, someone who's you know b- b- between leaving McLaren in twenty eighteen and coming back in twenty twenty one with Alpine, he did some Dakar racing, he did some sports car racing, you know, in IMSA and in, at Le Mans with Weck as well. So kind of leaves it to the imagination um, of him suiting up for a Bathurst 1000 one day. I mean, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? In in the dreams, Jawad, that is. We, we were actually having to talk about this the other day. Formula One drivers and supercars, of course, you know, we've at the moment we've got this Bathurst 1000 Japanese Grand Prix clash, which we have every oh, year. Tell me about it. <laughs> we've got, you know, Ricardo and Norris would be good for a WAU wildcard. Verstappen might like to have a go in a Red Bull Triple Eight racing wildcard. And Alonso would probably like to go as well, you know, we've. We've got a lot of interest. We had Alexander Rossi and James Hinchcliffe one year, didn't we? We did, and you know they very quickly learned how difficulty. Um, oh, sorry, how difficult it is coming into supercars. You know, so they're two of the, you know IndyCar's best, and um, they were very much making up the numbers that weekend in 2019, I believe. So, um, and I did make an example of. Uh, a certain 1997 world champion in, in my Talking Points article, um, Jacques Villeneuve, the outspoken Jacques Villeneuve, who, <laughs> um, yeah, when he came and tried 
a solo stint in supercars for the yeah. injured Greg Murphy in 2011, I think it was, or 2012. Yeah, about that. Um, was very much making up the numbers. It was pretty pretty terrible, you've got to say. Not as terrible as his singing career. I don't know. That's for you guys to that's for you guys to decide. So at your yeah. risk, everybody, at your risk. Hit the that's Apex it, podcast so. does not take responsibility for any feelings induced by that. <laughs> oh well, you know, it's good for a laugh, I guess, if you have a good one of those good nights if if you know what I mean. So check out Jack Villeneuve's uh one and only album i think i think it only sold a couple hundred copies i don't think it did very well at all (laughs) yeah it did not it did not (laughs) anyway i think um on that it's time to wrap this one up so again thank you very much for tuning in thank you again josh for coming on this week um and helping me wrap up what was a big australian grand prix weekend i'm still like feeling a bit of the uh what do you call it the buzz. Not, not hangover. Maybe, maybe to... it's a bit of a hangover. You know, it's it's. I've had a long. It's been a ten day stint for me with with work and with the Grand Prix and stuff. So now I'm finally ready to hit the hit the relaxation and um yeah just zone out for the weekend. I think so. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, you was. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys for tuning in. I'll see you again, not next week, but after the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Until then, take care. Catch me on the usual social platforms you can find through my link tree. And yeah, have a happy Easter, everyone, and see you next time. Happy Easter, everybody. Bye.